clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure. Where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. Doc. Hey. How do those buys and tries feel after shoveling <laughs> all those snow? Yeah, it was a night. It was a night here. <laughs> yeah, I bet you feel snatched. I... Ice and snow, it's great. Happy winter. <laughs> Happy I'm so, winter. I'm so ready for it to be done, just like I'm everyone so close, else. Doc, I can feel it's on the horizon. It's going to be spring soon. No more heavy coats. <laughs> and we're back. Sorry to our millions of fans who missed us last week, but schedules were crazy. The doc was still traveling, but now we're back. We're together. There's no uh, photo shoot going on in the background, though. I got to say, Doc, you knocked it out of the park that day. <laughs> you looked so ridiculously beautiful. The pictures came back from Michael Mason. You look amazing. I look amazing. I'm going to say it for you because I know you were thinking it anyway. But it was so fun to see you. It was so fun to celebrate your birthday. Everything was so great. And it's so great to be back here with you again for our millions of fans. So. How you doing there, Doc? I'm good. I'm good. You know, a little tired, but I'm good. It's, it's you know, one one week, uh, uh, I'm always like, hey, this week's going to be less chaotic than the last week, but it just doesn't <laughs> seem to really doesn't, It just doesn't seem out to that way. out that way. Like, what's yeah. the deal? I know yeah, how that's you all right, it. but I'm still, I'm still good, in good spirits, you know? I'm in yeah. good spirits, and I'm here. Well, good. I'm glad. That makes me happy. We've got, of course, got our announcements. The Amy book is coming out officially April Fool's Day, which is, of course, my birthday. I'm very excited about that. The doc's very excited about that. The audiobook versions all come out in one sexy, glossy, fun package. Our first book here at the University of Pleasure. More to come from our publishing wing. And, of course, there's going to be a new episode of Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit. And I hope everybody checked that out and uh, can't wait to actually listen to it myself because I'm a big fan of the docs and anything she does, I'm <laughs> going to want to listen. Unless it's a book she wrote about therapizing or anything like that because I certainly don't okay. like to read. So, anyway. What did you say? Book about what? Therapizing. <laughs> therapizing. It's a new word. Is it a new word? What? What, is, what exactly is therapizing? It's what you do. It's what I think that you do. I was trying, <laughs> you know what I mean? I love, that, I love that we're in season three and it's still a real mystery what I do. <laughs> I love Great. 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 I'm thrilled about that. All right. Well, let's get to our episode here today because uh, this one is interesting to me and I think I have a lot of insight for our audience. So I'm happy to help. I'm happy to be here to deliver the knowledge for people. Here we go. 
hurt so good. Mistaking chaos for passion. Untwining the knot of good sex and turbulent relationships. All right. <laughs> I already know what this is, okay? I've been there. I think so many of us have been there. I don't think we need a whole episode about it, but I'm sure you'll find ways to extend it, and we'll continue to talk. <laughs> so I... What a great sales pitch from the very beginning. <laughs> I think... I don't think we need a whole episode, but I guess we'll all sit here and engage in this if we have to. <laughs> well, listen, I'm sure there's pieces that I, in quote, air quotes, won't understand, but I feel like I got this one nailed already, okay? Well, you know, just a point of reference, it, it may be about more people than just you, so. Okay. I feel like I'm the common man. I feel like I am, like, the one that this show is geared to, and when something is like, boom, I know that. It's like, can you do brakes in a car? Yes, I can. Let me show you how to do it on my YouTube channel. And I don't have, but I do know how to do brakes in a car. Point is, I feel like I understand this. Why are you making that face? That was I just, totally I, you lost me in the brakes. You lost me in the brakes metaphor. <laughs> fine. All right, Doc, let's jump in here. I'll come in and, and rescue you if just in case you start to struggle with this. Great. Continue. I just appreciate it. Yeah. I'm a giver. Well, I, I want to talk about this one. And you're you're not wrong. Like, it's probably one that a lot of people, once you hear the title, you're like, oh, yeah, I've maybe been there. Or I know somebody that's very frequently there. Um, I, I do I think generally, culturally speaking, when it comes to sex, we can often really overly value and emphasize the idea of passion and like use it as sort of this defining variable of good sex. So if your sex isn't passionate, then it's not good, except this is can be a problem because sometimes what people define as passionate is actually paired with a lot of chaos. Okay. Do you, do you get what I mean by that? Yeah, 100%. Because, listen, sometimes, sometimes, you know, I, well, I'll just, I can talk from personal experience. I've been with people who were absolutely toxic, crazy humans, but the sex was so great. It was like off the charts, like everything you dream about it being, but then they were a nightmare. And you just like, <laughs> It, it was like, is it is it that? Is it just like this toxic behavior is, breeds more passion? Do you follow what I'm saying here? Yeah. Well, okay. So let's uh, actually, we'll take that for a second. So why, like you think, if you think back on those relationships for you, why, like what made the sex feel so good? It was this like, uh, it was like, it was like the chaotic sensibility. It was like. You loved hard, you fought hard, you know, you were, you, you, you had a big argument, but then the makeup was like porno movie, like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So like part of what can sometimes, not always, and we'll talk about like passion can occur in a lot of different ways, but this type of, I think, and, and, you know, I'll talk a bit in like how the media perpetuates this, but like part of what can sometimes makes things feel like quote unquote passionate is really high emotionality. Okay. So arousal, right, comes in many forms. And people can forget that fear is arousal, anger is arousal, right? Like it's all just like activation of that central nervous system, right? So it amps people up. 
But arousal, sexual arousal is arousal. And so when you pair something like, let's say, intense anger with um, sexual arousal, it's going to amplify it, right? Like it's going to make it feel bigger. Why? Because you're already amped up and now you're kind of like layering extra sort of high emotionality on top of it and that's what and then our brains kind of do this thing where it just smushes them all together right? okay <laughs> and it and it makes it feel like it's all just part of the same sexy package but in reality it's really these really high intensity emotions that are making it feel so hot but the problem is <laughs> i knew it was coming it has to be because it doesn't yeah. sound healthy you're right. To get there, you have to regularly engage in that high, high emotionality, which usually is at least in these kind of contexts, because again, there's lots of different ways to be passionate. But in this type of passion is usually coming from actually something fairly chaotic, dramatic, we use the word toxic. Um, you know, and so there are just certain emotional experiences that can amplify sex. A different example that we've actually talked about is um, in affairs. Yes. Right? Oh, okay. All right. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, that like secrecy, like doing something you're not supposed to be doing, the dirty, and knowing. The tawdry aspect of things. Right. It's the tawdry, danger, you know. the intensity. Right. And that's fear, right? Fear is arousal, the fear of getting caught. And that fear amplifies it. And so what it does is it makes that like the sex you're not supposed to be having. And there's lots of different ways this can show up. But if we use the example of an affair, it makes that sex feel like, oh, yeah, like it's so hot. And I think I've maybe mentioned it in a previous podcast, but I've actually worked with a lot of couples who got together through an affair. And then they're sitting in my office and they're going, our sex isn't as hot as it was at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. now you're like together in a way that's not secret. That's right. not, you know, like that it, it doesn't have that same amplified fear experience. And so there's no way to have that same like visceral. You can maybe try to create it in different ways. But that experience is unique to something where fear, like a fear of being caught or like doing something wrong, guilt, all these like high emotionality things are pairing with the sex that you're having. So what and you're saying here is it's much sexier when you're really scrambled in your brain and have a lot of fear. That's what we're saying. <laughs> well, I, I think I would actually, you know me, like language is important. I don't know that it's actually sexier, but I think it maybe feels hotter. Why? Because like literally our brains are on more fire. <laughs> like, because there's so much more happening in our brains that sort of make us go like, right? And that's then paired with this like physical expression that's very raw and it's very vis vis visceral. And that's why people associate that with passion. And we don't help people at all with that association because when you think of like media and the movies, right? Like how often do you really see like, like scenes, sex scenes where like people are like fighting, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden like having sex against the wall versus, yes. Yes. oh, we had a pretty nice 100%. day. We went to the farmer's market and now we're having, you know, some like calm, uh, peaceful sex. Yes. I mean, not the know. same, not as sexy. Sorry. No, it's not. And so we really also romanticize that type of sex and we create this sort of sensation that that is also what is necessary for good sex is this high, high emotionality. But it it obviously has uh, some problems. Okay. So what, what do we, okay. 
what kind so for instance you mentioned that you were maybe in some of these scenarios what problems did you notice well i mean she well i can talk about one particular person uh from way back in my past she uh it it it, it almost felt like it wasn't worth it at times but then it was like it was like drugs doc it felt like drugs does that make any sense <laughs> yeah like yeah it was like, this is really, like, I'm aware that this is not good for my mental health. <laughs> but man, the sex would come back and you'd be like, oh, well, now that's worth it. Oh, that was definitely, it was all worth the struggle. It was all worth this, like, angst and, like, really bad feelings than when I wasn't having sex with the person. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, interestingly, it pairs with sort of, like, you know, it's like it felt like a drug, right? Like you are simultaneously in a scenario like that, the Royal, you, not you specifically. Right. But like you're simultaneously having, um, both a lot of distress, but then that distress is like followed by a lot of reward. Right. Like in terms psychologically, right. There's this reward, there's this, you know, maybe orgasm or like intense, like bonding that happens in that moment. And it's releasing all sorts of, you know, oxytocin, dopamine, all of these like kind of feel good chemicals in the brain. And that speaks to our reward center. And the way that humans, this looks just basic ass psychology, right? Like Mm -hmm. the way that humans work, we are very, very easily swayed by reward. And what's really interesting. I know I am. I'm a hundred percent swayed by reward. Right. I'm well, like we all a dog are. with a treat. I'm like, yep, reward right. me. We we all are. And the thing is, is that it kind it really messes with our minds. Reward can really <laughs> mess with our minds because this is stuff that happens on sort of an unconscious level, right? It's really fascinating. The most um like the most powerful type of reward is intermittent reward the unexpected reward that you don't know that you're going to get versus an expected one that's like on a schedule, right? Like, so not all rewards are also created equal. The most, it's why gambling is so ripe for addiction issues, right? Because you don't know if you're going to win or not. And when you do for whatever, it's intermittent, right? It's like a surprise or it's, you know, not totally expected. And then your brain attaches to that and you forget all of the times that you just lost all your money. <laughs> um, right. And so it it's a more powerful type of reward is that intermittent reward. And in these kind of scenarios, that's what's starting to happen. Just to like highlight the idea of, because this is like the psychology, can I be a psychology nerd? Yes, like, I guess ahead, that's my job. It's my away. job on the show to be the psychology. So like, uh, this is just a stupid story, but like I had uh, a while back, I had a, a bit ago, a, a dog and his name was Freddie. And Freddie was the naughtiest dog, just the naughtiest dog. And when um, there was one day that Freddie found a chicken carcass, he would always check, he would always check the, the trash and I locked it. And one day I forgot to lock it. And when he checked it, it was, there was a chicken carcass in Jesus. <laughs> in, in right and so yep. it was this big reward right like he checked it he found it and then freddie became obsessed with this trash can for i mean years and never ever was unlocked never got another chicken carcass but just kept coming back to check kept coming back to check why well because there was this like 
really powerful reward. And so sometimes it doesn't even take more than one time to have this really powerful reward for the brain to catch it. It might feel weird that I'm like talking about a dog, but in reality- yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna say that like, I, I'm feeling a little uh, insecure about myself that I'm being compared to Freddie <laughs> but, the dog looking for a chicken but, carcass. But listen to me, but listen, we are all fancy animals. Whether we wanna, we are animals. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we have this beautiful prefrontal cortex that's different from other animals that allows us to like have reason and consciousness and like, you know, think through things and be analytical. But at the same time, we have the same exact brain on the on most of our brain also looks real damn close to Freddie the dog. And so, <laughs> that's something that's important to remember about us as human beings we're animals and we're fancy animals but we're still animals meaning that those type of things can still impact us and in these situations it does get hard because like you described a really you had that sex there was a reward and it was like and then you get out of that brain state and you're like well this is terrible yeah like she's a nightmare but the brain still is going, but about that chicken carcass, right? <laughs> but about in the back, not in the conscious part of the mind often, but about that. And it's still seeking that reward. And it's, it's a very powerful thing. And, you know, that's why sometimes people can be like, this is, I'm in a nightmare, but man, I'm having a hard time leaving. I mean, sometimes it's unconscious. The other times it is also someone straight up. I've had many conversations with people in really toxic and chaotic relationships where the sex feels really good and amped up. And they're really, it is more, they're, they're more aware of it. And part of what they're afraid of though, is that they're, they don't want to leave because they're afraid that they'll never have that good of sex again. That makes sense. I get it. And I think that's a good place for us to take a break here, doc. And then let's get back in. What do you say? Sounds good. We'll be right back. And we're back, folks. Doc is comparing me to her old dog. And we're <laughs> I love how that got warped. So we're going to continue on with this thought process, shall we? Sure. Okay. So why do people stay in these things? Uh, Reward-wise, I guess I get it, but all right, continue on. Yeah, like, you know, where we left off was I was talking about how also just some people are afraid that they're never going to have sex that's that good again. And that's scary, (laughs) right? Yeah, sure. To... You know, and, and because the sex is really good and it's people get attached to it. They get sort of emotionally attached to the idea of having this like really passionate, almost like movie style sex, right? Like it's true. It's, yeah. It's totally true. I was, like I told you, this person, I, I mean, it was like movie sex every single time. Of course, when it wasn't in the bedroom, it was just horrendous behavior and and narcissistic god knows what's and it was just off the charts like bad news bears right and but there were times i couldn't give it up like i just was like oh this is so but it's just so great at the end of the day and you know there were i mean there were genuine mental struggles that i had in my mind uh, like going like all right you know this is not healthy you know this person is is really not a, a pleasant human like you don't need this in your life 
kind of a thing. But yet at the same time, I was like, but man, God damn, it's fun. And it, but that's what I mean. Like, it was like, it was feeling like drugs. Like it was like, I don't need that drink. No, I don't need that drink. Like I, it's the only, cause I've never been like addicted to uh, anything um, in my life in that way. But that was, I would say like the closest type of thing where I was like, it was like, this, I don't know, man. I don't know. Can I walk away from that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I just say, like, what do we do then? Like, what do we do? Right. Is it just like the first step is awareness and we go to a 12-step yeah, program well, for mean, not being with toxic <laughs> people and fucking like I rock stars? Well, I do think that, like, yes, like part of why we're talking about it is it's it's hard to do anything about anything if you don't realize what you're caught in. You know, like it's much, it's much easier to like, uh, have awareness of something when you're, you know, out of the eye of the storm, when you're in it, it's just, you know, really like messing with the mind a lot. It's just creating not a clinical term, but a lot of mind fuckery to a certain degree in which people can't sort of make things out. And, you know, I think part of the struggle too, is a lot of times people might be in these situations and people that care about them might be going, um, this seems really chaotic. Yeah. And then sometimes there can it can actually create problems with other people in their lives because other people are going, you keep telling me you're miserable, but you keep going back to this. Like, yes. what is this about? Oh, 100%, Doc. You know, when people can see the writing on the wall and go like, you keep saying that you're so unhappy, this person's so bad and horrible, and yet you keep going back. And you feel like a dummy because you don't want to be like, hey, you don't, yeah, they're horrible. They're horrible to my friends. They're horrible to like everybody I know. But you don't know, man, when we're in that bedroom. Like, you feel like, it's like, like ooh, you don't want to say that out loud. Like, I just can't give up the loving. Yeah, well, and, I, and that's the thing. Like, it, when I was talking about reward, that it, like, also works on an unconscious level. Like, those things, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it, it really does create sort of a lot of uh internal psychic confusion for people because they're both being rewarded and then maybe punished at the exact same time and so it's kind of hard to know how to get out and so you know usually the the first step is being able to go like i there is a problem here and I'm recognizing there's a problem. And for some people that might be like, you know, I end up seeing people sometimes in therapy for for this specific issue. Sometimes it is just starting to like talk to friends or other people or actually, you know, it's always a general good piece of advice. Like if one person in a room says something, you know, okay, we'll take it under consideration. But if you got nearly everyone, you know, saying the same damn thing about your relationship, that is worth paying attention to, right? Because sometimes also there can be a little bit of the sensation of like, you don't understand, you're not in it, right? And that's true, right? To a certain degree, that is also true. But if nearly everyone in your world and not even like, like, let's say like in separate areas of your world, right? So it's not just your family, it's also your friends and a coworker has noticed, that's actually becoming pretty reliable data. Got it. And, and sometimes a part of toxic relationship cycles can be nobody gets this but us. Sure. Like nobody gets our chaos but us. It's very like, who is it? Sid and Nancy. That's it. Know? Sid and, yeah, the sex pistols, the ones that were like, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it, it's, and, you know, it's really interesting. Actually, like I was, um, <laughs> 
but and I don't think a lot of people, maybe maybe some people know, a lot of people might, but I don't think that people like really absorb like the do you know the history of the word passion, like the etymology of it, where it comes from? Doctor, I look like some of all the years <laughs> that we've known each other, does that something you think I would know? I mean, are you well, just trying I... to make me feel dumb? No, I, I wouldn't it be more like, well, I'm assuming you don't know. <laughs> Even more rude. Continue. Well, I'm assuming, Jeremiah, that you don't know where words come from. Some people do. People know lots of random trivia. But um, anyway, the etymology of the word passion is, it, it, is, it comes from a Latin term, and it was used most often in like uh, Christian theology. Okay. It means to suffer. That's really? The root of the the word the 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 Latin word is pati, and I don't I'm probably not pronouncing it right because I don't speak Latin, but it means to suffer, and it started out like that. That's what the root of the word passion means, right? Like you think of uh, people are familiar with like the phrase like the passion of the Christ, yes, right? Well, like passion of the Christ, sure, right? That's about Christ's suffering and agony, and then over time that word has morphed into a different thing but there is irony in that idea that the root of the word passion is to suffer okay well then that would make sense because i was certainly suffering back in those days but okay wait hang on a second hang on hang on, hang on. okay hang on, i gotta understand this here so passion is suffering but but what i was experiencing was not passion I mean, or or was it passion by what the definition well, of passion is? I guess that's my point. Like the whole point of this entire conversation is I think redefining the idea of passion, right? Because a lot of times we do associate passion with pain and suffering, whether we realize it or not. Because why? Because pain, anger, fear, those are very visceral emotions, right? They're easy to recognize. You feel them, right? You often feel them very physically. Sure. Yeah. And so that's why it's often very easily associated with passion. And I'm not saying it's not a form of passion, but it's a form of passion. It is not the only way <laughs> to have passion. And I think sometimes that's the nuance that is, that is missed. Okay. All right. So how do we recognize then, like, if you're in a situation like I was in, what would be some things to, like, help recognize that it's not such a great scenario? Right. Well, I said one of them, and I really mean it. If everyone around you <laughs> is telling yeah. you. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Like, like, that's actually a very big one. And if you notice that you're starting, like, like I said, one friend, okay. A couple people, maybe, maybe just people don't get the two of you. But if like everyone in your world or most people in your world, like that is pretty relevant. Actually, that's a very easy way to recognize, just to begin to pay attention. So but if, the other if, if a lot of people are telling you, you should really start to pay attention to that because it's now. So it's like, you know, one person tells you, well, you know, they may not like that person. Another person tells you, well... You know, maybe, but like if everybody starts telling you that this is kind of like really not seemingly healthy, then you gotta, you gotta maybe stop and take a look. Well, yeah, like step back and go, okay, what is going on here? Like I said, especially if it's like from different areas of your life, right? They're not obviously all colluding together behind your back. <laughs> it's right. like, and then people over here and people, that's a very good cue. But the other thing too, is what you were talking about earlier trying to step back and go, you know, 
is, and this is all like more cognitive work, which is really hard, especially when you're in the eye of the storm. And so I can have empathy for that, but you know, it is what it is. Like when, when people like stepping back and going, okay, I get 20 to 30 minutes of this really intense pleasure, right? And intense connection. Is that worth the other 23 and a half hours, you know, give or take sleep of misery and chaos that I'm experiencing? Like, is that really worth it? Because, you know, I was talking about earlier, I know it's a bit bit of a nerdy diatribe, but it has a point. Your mind is simultaneously always going through unconscious, right? The thoughts and the uh, drives that you aren't aware of and conscious processes. And all any of us can do, and this is what separates us from Freddy the dog, okay? (laughs) This is what separates us. I've been waiting for this. Right, that's that part, that conscious mind, that prefrontal cortex, that like higher level thinking. All any of us can do is to try to engage that part of our mind as much as we can to start to disengage the other part, right? The part that's like, I want, I need, it feels good. Give me, give me, give me, right? <laughs> like that's that's more of the animal part of our brain. The higher reasoning part of our brain is the part where you actually can do some work because the other part's not conscious. It's just drive, right? And often drive. And so what that usually requires is slowing down. So for instance, one of the things that I often... And a lot of times it's a hard sell might have people do in these kind of scenarios is say, can you even take a two day break? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, cause yeah, you're trying to sure. break a cycle. Can you take a week away? Hey, you got a friend out in California. Can you go away for a week and leave and ask for, for some space? Because oftentimes it kind of breaks the spell or can start to break that spell. It's that idea sure. of like when you're when you're in the storm, it's only when people start to get out of the the cycle that they go, oh shit. Like and and that and the what happens too is when you're in the cycle, that high emotionality, it keeps swirling. It's like a circuit, right? It keeps swirling between the two people. And you have to get out of it sometimes in order to have the emotionality come down enough to start to have more reason. And to have more kind of reason in your mind, because when our emotions are really high, it hijacks our brain. We have a bunch of adrenaline and we have all of those sorts of hormones that then cortisol, things that interfere actually with that rational thinking process, like starts to shut capacity in our executive functioning down. So literally biologically getting out, taking a break so you can start to really look at things can not just like help you sort through your stuff. I mean, literally it helps your brain work better. Right, because you right, can right. start to kind of reduce, uh, reduce that sort of high emotionality that starts to sustain these things. It, I do think you know, the other thing too, and I, and I didn't really touch on it is like, the why does why does any of this matter? Well, because this is not a sustainable pattern for most people. Right. Well, I mean, you burn out just like drugs isn't sustainable. Eventually, right. your body's going to get angry and give up. So yeah, you burn mentally out. you burn out. Also, that 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 sex that's really hot, not always, but more often than not, what in the beginning is often really hot and chaotic, people habituate, right? Over time, we get used to certain emotional experiences. So 
we can't sustain that sort of level. And so what at the beginning is often really hot and chaotic over time just becomes chaotic. Yeah. Right. For sure. sure. So the hot, the hot sex and the fun sex actually starts to kind of dissipate because we just habituate to those emotions. And then it's just like, okay, well now I'm just in a bad relationship without the hot sex. Right. And that's often what starts to happen. And the other real issue of like, kind of like what, What's not great about this is the way that it hijacks people's minds at times. Like we're often behaving in ways that are very impulsive and immature. And a really good example of that is, have I ever gone on my Romeo and Juliet diatribe on this podcast? Uh, no. And we're coming towards the end of this episode. Is this going to take long? No, it's a short diatribe. Thank you, <laughs> Jeremiah. Um, but <laughs> it's not going to take long, but, uh, Romeo and Juliet, right. Considered the ba- like the greatest romance of all time. Right. I look at that romance and I think, uh, what a pair of immature assholes. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> now to be fair, I shouldn't call them assholes. I think literally, if you know anything about the, I think they're 15. Yeah. They're 15 right? years old. They're yeah. Kids. I think they're like 15 years old. They're kids. So that's appropriate. They're 15. But like, to me, I look at it and I go, that's not romantic. That's impulsive and immature and chaotic, right? That story could have had a way better ending had everyone just slowed the hell down right. and probably been like maybe 10 years older. Yes. But but the interesting thing is we hold that up as this like ultimate romance. And it's true. And I understand it's like romantic because it's tragic. And while on paper, that's a great play and that's great to watch living that is not the same it might be entertaining to observe but living that is horrible and then results often in a lot of pain and suffering well i'm proud of you because that early was a very short diatribe good for you thank you good for you well i think we've all learned a lot today from your therapizing i think can i but i'm not done okay <laughs> no, I mean I'm I'm dying to know more. Continue. I was I ready to wrap. I was in the wrap up mode, but that's okay. I can jump back in. Okay. I'm that way. But I'm, but, I'm, but I, I just because this is important, right? Like, I want to also like just really quick touch on the idea that I'm not saying that passion is bad, right? You can have passion. I'm talking about a specific type of passion. And oftentimes what's required is you're asking what can people do? But part of it is rewriting your definition of what passion means. Also that passion is not something that is necessary. Like this like very visceral idea of passion is not necessary for good sex. Good sex does not have a singular definition, right? There are so many different ways to have good sex. You can have quiet, calm, slow burn, long build on a Saturday afternoon sex that's some of the best sex you've ever had. It doesn't have to be fight, 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 fucking an alleyway sex for it to be good. Although that does and sound think, really hot. I'm sure it does. And it, great in film. And it might be hot on that occasion. But if that's what you're seeking, and also as an aside, if that's what you think your sex life, if a, sex life is supposed to look like, that's often not fair because often in high functioning relationships, things are not going to feel that chaotic. They're going to feel different. And I say that. That makes sense. That makes sense. 
And I say that because I have a lot of people that come in that talk to me personally, professionally and say, I'm worried about my sex life because I don't feel passion. And then when I start to ask them how they're defining passion, it's in these grander sort of like Romeo and Juliet type of ways. And I say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have passion. It also doesn't necessarily mean you don't have good sex. And it makes people worried and worried about the sexual lives that actually they have that might be quite functional and frankly be really good, but just in a different way. Because what we forget is that passionate moments can also come from other intense emotions. Anger and pain and suffering are not the only intense emotions. You can feel an intense sense of like love, security, appreciation, gratitude, fondness, and all of that can lead to a really great sexual experience. You don't need all of the other bullshit to go along with it in order to have good sex. Well said. Actually, very well said. And can I wrap it up now? Yes. You see I'm how I took now. that long dramatic pause to see if you were going to jump on jump on in there? Yeah, I'm done now. Thank okay. You. Well, I learned a lot today. I think our fans learned a lot today. Basically, folks, if you're in a toxic relationship and the sex is just the most amazing thing ever, but then everything is miserable on the outside, the doc is saying, uh, probably want to take a look at that. Because... <laughs> well, the other, the other thing to remember, too, is, you know, like I said, you we can all get time stuck in the eye of the storm. Yeah. But there is, when, remember we, we talked a couple episodes about relief being pleasurable? Yep. There is pleasure in the relief of being out of that situation. That is you true. You just have to, you just have to exit it long enough to experience that type of pleasure. Absolutely. Well, Doc, it was great to see you. It's great to be back as always, and uh, I want to thank you for all the therapizing today. And uh, I will be talking to you next week, and hopefully it will be a little warmer, and you won't be shoveling snow before we hop on, you know, to our because look. I'm going to be real, okay? Like, at the end of the day, you know, we start videoing these things, that sort of thing. You don't want to be coming in after you were, you know, shoveling snow (laughs) and jumping the camera. You know what I mean? I'm just, you know, center next time. Center. Center. All right. Well, everybody out there, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Be kind to one another and try to listen. And, uh, Doc, talk to you again next week. Bye. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Felstein. And special thanks to our new associate producer, Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. <laughs>